Genesis chapter 65, I'll be reading verses 17 through 25, Isaiah 65, starting in verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die... One hundred years old, but the sinner being one hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Oh, dear Lord, what a glorious day that will be. What a glorious time. And Lord, I thank you for for giving us a, a picture of that. And I pray that today, as you use your servant Paul to speak to us and to open your word up to us, that we would hear you speaking to us and that he would become less and you more. And that what we hear will change our lives, Lord, and change our outlooks. So use Paul for your glory, Lord, and spend him and speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the series that we've just concluded on the sanctified life um, had some tough sermons in it. And um, Julie said to me a few weeks ago, how about we change it up a bit and we uh, have some messages on heaven, which I thought was a good idea. So here's a short series then on heaven. But I, as you'll see, I can't just talk about heaven. I have to talk about the way that the Bible delineates what I call the phases of the afterlife. So that's what we're going to look at. But before we do that... Um, I know we don't uh, really do this anymore, but, you know, it's somebody's 50th birthday. But whose is it? Whose birthday is it? Whose? Oh, there she is, Rachel. Rachel is 50. Wow. Yes. So we are going to sing happy birthday to her because it's special. And she doesn't look it, does she? Okay. 
So here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Rachel. Happy birthday to you. I couldn't, couldn't not do that, so we are we're rejoicing with you. Um, yes, okay. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, this thing is this thing is playing up today. Let's see. Let's try this again here. So, how do we deal with this subject of heaven? How do we deal with the subject of the afterlife? You see, the thing is that the Bible, being the Bible, it doesn't just teach about heaven. And, of course, I'm sure all of you know that heaven is not a place that is uh, conspicuous with clouds. Each cloud for, you know, one of us to sit on with a white robe and a harp. That's not heaven at all. But I wonder how many of us are aware that heaven is not the eternal abode of the blessed. That would be the new heavens and the new earth, which is spoken about just briefly in Isaiah 65 and then, of course, at the back of the Bible in Revelation 21 and 22. So we'll get there. We'll talk about some of that, a little bit of it today. Heaven certainly is the abode of any who uh, pass from this life into the presence of God before the second coming of Jesus. And so it's a reality a real place, a place where people go, the saints go. Then in between going to heaven before the second coming of Christ and then the new heavens and the new earth, there's another phase. This phase is the kingdom, the what we call the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ upon this earth. And so... We have to look at all of these stages, as it were, of the afterlife if we're going to study this this subject. Another thing that I should say by way of introduction is that um, the Bible does not provide us with a great deal of information about this. It provides us with a lot of information about the kingdom, the coming kingdom, and by extension with the new heavens and new earth, although not so much, but doesn't tell us an awful lot about heaven. 
We know Jesus is there. We know angels are there. We know some weird creatures with too many eyes and too many wings and weird feet and so on. They're up there too. We know the saints are up there, but we're not told a great deal about it. So we have to uh, look at the information that we're given and see if we can figure out a little bit more about it. So this message, therefore, is the first message. It's an introductory message to all of those different phases, all of those subjects. And I hope that you will, therefore, take this message as a kind of a, a necessary prelude to the messages to come. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, includes Paul's words, his wishes, while he was still alive and writing to the Philippians from a jail, and saying this, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh... This will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So here in this passage, Paul, he's uh, not in the most... um, comfortable surroundings and he is in a Roman cell he has been uh, very used to mistreatment from the world and and the people in the world of suffering for Jesus Christ and so he has a desire to depart he has a desire to to be with Christ, and he says that is far better than the circumstances that he found himself in at that particular moment, or in fact any set of circumstances that can be imagined upon this present world. We know that Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of God. Therefore, to be with Christ is to be in heaven. Heaven is a real place. And next week we'll look more into heaven as a real place. But the more important thing is that we understand that the saint of God, once they've run their race in this world, have a place to go. They have a place to go that is not a place of darkness and not a place of fear. It's not a place of foreboding. It's not a place to be afraid of. It is not a place to uh, have any concerns about. It is a place rather to look forward to going to. It is a place that, from our point of view, is very difficult to conceive of. Now, certainly in our imaginations, which are God-given, we can think think up nice pictures 
of heaven. And there are even those people, of course, who have written books about going to to heaven. No, I don't believe them. I believe that those people, some of whom, of course, are not even Christians, have been deceived by the prince of the power of the air. And they have seen things in uh, a state where they've been out of the body, which uh, is a, a lie, which they have then written down in books and told countless people in lectures and YouTube presentations, which soften the idea of sin and which invite people to think that they can just live their lives down here any old way, not worry about what Jesus did on the cross, and sooner or later they're going to go into this wonderful place, this place of light and bliss. We cannot put any stock in those accounts. What we can do is we can put all of our stock in the accounts that are given to us in the Bible. If God is in heaven, that is his abode, as we're told numerous times in Scripture. If the Lord Jesus Christ ascended to heaven where he came from, then we can be sure that heaven is an extraordinarily wonderful place and that it has no equal anywhere on this earth and never has had at least until or since the Garden of Eden. And that didn't last for very long. This means that Betty's sister, Linda, and those that you have lost, who have gone before you, but who knew the Lord, that we ourselves, if Jesus delays his coming, have gone or will go to an extraordinarily wonderful place. A place that cannot be conceived of, really, as I've said, down here. The reason for that is that we have no comparison to it. Um, What we do have is the wonder of God's creation that's all around us. And we have an understanding of beauty, an understanding sometimes, occasionally, of peace inside ourselves, in our minds, but only occasionally. We have an understanding of when everything's right with the world. But we, are, we still have this world. This is the only thing that we can compare it to. And this world is cursed. Let's never forget that. This world is cursed. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. I mean, it, it gets by because of the providence of God. But I wonder how crippled it is. How dysfunctional it is from the original plan and purpose of God and in contrast to the way that it's going to be when Jesus returns. 
One illustration I like to go to is Jesus' calming of the wind and the waves in Mark 4 and where uh, that squall came along and Jesus, with a word, and it really, you know, he, it, it was a, a very impromptu kind of word because he'd just been shaken out of a nice deep sleep. He calms the wind and the waves. Jesus, of course, by the same word and by the same power, took away people's diseases and raised people from the dead and fixed their limbs and gave sight to the blind and hearing to those who could not hear. Jesus affected creation by his presence and his power. He restored things that were marred by the curse. But only for a short time and only within the bounds of Israel and sometimes he would venture a little bit north or a little bit east. But that's it. Wouldn't it be wonderful to imagine a world where Jesus did that throughout the whole realm, the whole earth? That's going to happen, but for right now, what we have is what we've got. We have diseases, we have um, aging, we have aches and pains, we have uh, storms that get out of control, and uh, rivers and oceans and seas that get out of control, and earthquakes and all kinds of things that blight us. We have diseases. And we have, we could create a whole list of things that go wrong. In the Psalms, we're told the whole earth is out of joint. Heaven is not like that. There's no threat at all of anything perturbing the bliss and the peace and the beauty of heaven. It's a place of safety. Why wouldn't Paul prefer to be there? Why wouldn't you and I? Jesus has made that way available to us by his death and his resurrection and his ascension. And if you don't know Jesus as your savior, then you have no hope of reaching that place. It is shut to you. You have every expectation of going somewhere you don't want to go. Hell. But we're talking about heaven here, so I'm not going to spoil it with those thoughts. But we must face facts. So Paul here speaks about going to heaven. That's the first point. Now, as I say, I'll go more into it next week. There is another phase, and for this we have to go to Isaiah 65. There is a phase that's called the Millennial Kingdom. And then after that, there's a third phase, which is the new heavens and the new earth. Now, Isaiah 65 is a somewhat confusing text. And it's a, it's a difficult text for every interpreter. 
There are those interpreters that say, well, there's not going to be a, a millennial kingdom, a thousand-year kingdom on earth after Christ comes back, before the new heavens and the new earth. And they will sometimes go to this passage for proof of that. Of course, they'll go to certain parts of this passage and then others they'll omit. They'll go to verses 17 through 19 of chapter 65, but they won't, move, won't read onwards because that speaks about death <laughs> and cursing and so on. But we have to pass these two things. We have to read through our understanding of Scripture that Isaiah here is speaking about the two phases together. New heavens and new earth he mentions first, but then he, as it were, rolls it back to speak about the millennial kingdom. And again, I'll say more about these things. Why he does it that way, I don't know. We'll have to ask him when we meet him. But it is a fact that in the new heavens and new earth, there's no more curse. So any, any mention of cursing, <coughs> which there is in Isaiah 65, where it says in verse 20 at the end there, the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed, that can't be the new heavens and new earth. Neither can the presence of a sinner speak of the new heavens and the new earth. This idea of death, verse 20, no more shall the infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days, for the child shall die 100 years old. The sinner, being 100 years old, shall uh, be accursed. No death in the new heavens and the new earth. So this means that Isaiah is speaking about two phases. He's speaking about the millennial kingdom, verses 20, down to verse 25, and before that he's mentioning the new creation, verses 17 through 19. So what does that give us? That gives us, for those before Jesus returns, heaven. For those who um, die when Jesus, or, or are gathered when Jesus returns, the millennial kingdom. And then onward to the new heavens and the new earth after that millennial reign of Christ. I will explain all these, of course, in more detail in the coming weeks. <clears throat> Let's uh, look at the millennial reign of Christ, though, just briefly here from Isaiah 65, which means that we're going to, for the moment, cut off verses 17 through 19, and we're going to run down a little bit, verses 20 down to the end of Isaiah 65. Let's have a quick look at this. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days. Well, that certainly strikes home because of what uh, the sad event that uh, Patricia has had to relate to us this morning. That's not going to happen. 
in that kingdom. Nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. The child shall die 100 years old. A child. That both speaks of a very, very different way of calculating how old, uh, whether a person is an old person or not. And it also shows that a person, and even a child, is going to have a full life. But, but, it seems that death will still lurk. And so it's something that we have to investigate. I will say this, and that is that the impact of death will be greatly lessened in the kingdom. Look at this description here, verses 21 through 23. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat, which was often a problem and still is a problem in the world today in many places. For as the days of a tree, so shall the day be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. In the context, this is Israel, but of course it applies generally to those who are who join them in the kingdom. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. Offspring in the new heavens and the new earth? That doesn't fit the new heavens and the new earth either, but it does fit the kingdom, do you see? There will be babies born after the return of Christ. Are you okay with all this? This is what the text of Scripture tells us. Now, I know there's a lot of detail in here. There's a lot of things that that need bringing out, and I will try and bring it out in uh, the coming weeks. But I want to stop in verse 23 briefly because that last phrase there I think is so wonderful. The children that are brought forth in the kingdom after the return of Jesus Christ to this earth, they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord which means that those people that go into the kingdom and are able to have children, they are the blessed of the Lord. Who they are is another question. It's not us. It's not us because we will be given glorified bodies And we will, therefore, not need to procreate in the kingdom. But according to the book of Revelation and other places, there will be people that go through the tribulation period who will be saints of God, believers in Jesus. They will be persecuted. 
and they will either die and be raised in the kingdom or they will be separated out from the goats by the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes back and they will enter the kingdom. They will uh, have children. They will not have glorified bodies. They will have children. Therefore, they suit, they, sorry, they fit this passage here. Verses 26, sorry, 24 and 25 say, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. Well, that's nice. That's really nice. We've all had experiences of praying to God and the answer comes straight away. Or very quickly. It's like, well, it's like that was prearranged. We've also had experiences, let's face it, of praying to God and waiting around for a long time for God to answer. That's not going to happen in the kingdom. When they call, I will answer. You see, that connection with God is going to be so close. It's going to be so restored that there won't be any uh, praying and agonizing any waiting around for God to respond. While they are still speaking, I will hear, the wolf will I, uh, and the lamb shall feed together, the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. I know that last passage needs some explaining. It's like the serpents are going to eat dust. I'm not sure if that's a literal rendering or or whatever that's going to be. I do believe, literally, that the wolf and the lamb and the lion will lie together and they'll all eat straw in the kingdom. That's coming. Death is going to wear a very different aspect in the coming kingdom. Do you see? It's not going, nature's not going to be red in tooth and claw anymore. There will be peace. There will be, it will be a time when people will not be looking over their shoulders to wonder if people are going to steal their things or knock them over their head, mug them, take their property, where they're wondering whether the government's going to overtax them or, or going to um, fix things so that uh, all the money's going to uh, certain pockets and not into our pockets. It's going to be a thoroughly different kingdom, the millennial reign of Christ. It's going to be a time, just think about this, when Jesus himself irresistibly will come to earth, reign from Jerusalem, and will be in control of what happens on earth. That means not only the subduing of wind and waves and errant weather and diseases and all of that. I think it's going to mean a rebeautification of the world. I think it's going to mean a kind of government, both local government and worldwide government, that will 
be so surprising because we've never known anything like it. No corruption, fairness, peace, prosperity. I want to go to a number of verses here that bring that out, but that's not for this week. But can't you see, if the wolf is lying down with the lamb, then you're going to be okay with your neighbor. You're going to be okay with your government. You're going to be okay with your local authorities. You're going to be okay. There's not going to be problems in Jesus' kingdom with cartels. Problems with secret societies, whatever they may be, and however they may function. Problems with billionaires planning our futures for us, whether we are including, included in them or not. There's not going to be people fig, trying to figure out how they can make a fast buck from us. They won't be allowed. They won't make it. Their world, look at uh, verse 25, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. And that influence will go out through the whole of creation. Well, if there's going to be no hurting and no destruction, isn't that a place you would like to be? Isn't that a kingdom you would like to be? Yes, there will still be death. Yes, there will still be the remnants of sin. And I'll explain why that is when we deal with that. But then there's a third phase after that. The third phase is a new heavens and a new earth. Verse 17, for behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. What does that mean? We're not going to remember things before this new creation. I don't think it means that. It's talking in a figurative sense of the troubles, the problems, the even, yes, in the kingdom, death, curse, sin, they will be gone. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people as a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. That reminds us of what it says in the book of Revelation, where Jesus will wipe away every tear. They'll be gone. Tears will be a thing in the former world. Sorrow, something that happened before, but not now. Do you see? Pain, not experienced in the new heavens and the new earth. That's where we're headed. Before that, we have to go into the kingdom, but don't worry. Since you're going to be given a glorified body, which we uh, will talk about, you're not going to be impacted by any curse, any death, any pain. 
But there will be people who come through into the kingdom, and I have to explain that, who will be uh, impacted by that. So what we have in this passage and in the Philippians passage that I chose are three phases of glory. Now, all of them are good. I'd choose any of them. Even the the millennial kingdom, where things aren't quite sorted out the way that we would like them sorted out completely, I'll choose that one over this present world any day. And when I try to, to go into that and describe it a bit more, so will you. This earth will one day experience a change, and that change will be a change that puts the governments of men and the wickedness of men behind it forever. That's a door that's closed, a curtain that's drawn, however you want to think about it, over that and it's not going to be opened again. Now that's the world we live in. That's what we have to deal with now. That's what we've, we and those that have gone before us who've been in Christ have had to deal with, I understand. But that's not forever. I understand. I mean, it's, it's difficult because it's all we know. And it's the reality that we have to deal with until Jesus returns. But Jesus is coming. He's going to return. We ought to expect him. We ought to be looking for him. I'm not saying that we ought to read the papers and try and interpret when he's going to come back. But I, but I am saying that we need to occupy until he comes, that we need to watch. And yes, personally, although I may be wrong, I believe we're close. I do. I believe that we're close. If you should die today, you go to glory. You go to heaven. If you are still here when Jesus returns to set up his reign, you go into the millennial kingdom with the Prince of Peace. Either way, you end up in the new heavens and the new earth where there's no more curse. Either way, what we now see through a glass darkly, then we see face to face. We will experience the radical change, the revolution of the passing away of this evil world and the coming of the world as God wants it. Heaven, kingdom, 
new heavens, new earth. That's our introduction to the afterlife. Sounds pretty good to me. Let's pray. So, Father, these things are promised by you and they'll be delivered by you. I absolutely believe it. I believe that to be with you is far better and that it's right to have a desire to depart, just as Paul did. We know that when Jesus returns, he returns to a world that's his. He returns to a world that killed him and rejected him. Boy, are they in for a surprise. And we know, Father, that after Jesus has regenerated this world after he has judged Satan he will deliver it up to you and we know Lord that then there will become a new heavens and a new earth that will go on forever and ever in Jesus Christ we have all of these and therefore Father we thank you that we have such great hope in Jesus name